Um, one of the, the, I think the biggest indicators between the two though, is when you're operating an obsession and you don't meet your goal, there's shame that comes up. And it's, there's like a feelings of failure and I didn't do a good job. When you're operating in discipline and you don't hit your goal, there's curiosity. There's like, why didn't I hit it? What can I do better? There's almost like an appetite for like, give me some more and I'm gonna take on the next challenge. And I think that's the best litmus test to see which one you're operating in. It's like, how do you respond when you actually don't meet your goal? How to be disciplined rather than obsessive with nutrition. This is the Best You Podcast. My name is Nick Carrier and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached over 500 people through my program, The 10 Week Transformation. My mission is to make living a healthy lifestyle simple so you can look and feel like your best you. Jess Brown is a registered dietitian who used to struggle with an eating disorder. But because of her own struggles, she learned how to help others with their mental approach to food, and she coaches people on how to have a values-based approach to their health and fitness goals. Today, she's also going to teach you about how hungry you actually should be before you eat and how full you should be after you eat. She'll also talk to you about biofeedback that is worth paying attention to, like a Bristol stool chart, and her da three daily nutritional goals that she pays attention to. Before diving in, be sure you follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and be sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. But for now, it's time to get closer and closer to your best you with Jess Brown. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Jess Brown. Jess, really excited to have you on. I've been following you on social for a while now, and I want to start off today by talking about kind of mental, psychological side of eating and everything like that. And I know that your history, you had an eating disorder back when you were 18, kind of in college, and I've heard you say before that you always had maybe a relatively good relationship with food and everything like that growing up. But when you went to college, there was just a lot of newness and you kind of sought almost predictability or comfort or control when it came to food. And that's kind of what led you down that path. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about your own journey of kind of transitioning into maybe a poor relationship with food and how you've kind of navigated yourself out of that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me today. And yeah, I struggled with, you know, looking back on it, I think I struggled with it in high school. It just was, mm. it wasn't quite as like dramatic, I guess you could say. It was more of, I hate to say this, but it was like normal, <laughs> right? Like it was um, just some like body insecurities. But then when I went to college, um, like you said, I, I was, I moved out of state. I went to college where I knew absolutely nobody. I came from a really tight knit family. And so um, I was the first one to leave the nest. And there were lots of like, there was, uh, there was a lot with that. Like my, I left my boyfriend, all my friends, my family completely on my own. Yeah. So I think I was looking for honestly identity. Like I just, I wanted to find that. And I know like you work with a lot of, um, athletes or former athletes. Right. And I had actually transitioned out of my sport when I went from my senior year of high school into college. Cause I blew out my knee, unfortunately. So I, mm -hmm. I had plans to play in college, play soccer in college. And I didn't, I wasn't able to. So I think there were a lot of factors at play, but I was really just trying to find out, like find some identity to grasp onto and being in a world that's like hyper-focused on appearance and how we look, I think I just reached for, well, I'm not a soccer player anymore. I'm not so-and-so's girlfriend anymore. I'm not, you know, someone's daughter or big sister anymore. I 
guess I'm going to like look good. Like that's kind of what I became super focused on. And <laughs> like most things, like the more you try to control it, the worse it gets. Right. And so like I was trying, I think I started out with really good intentions with food. I was trying to eat healthier. I was trying to exercise more, but it, it truly turned into an obsession and um, got out of control and started developing into full on eating disorder behavior. So I struggled with bulimia and what's crazy about it, Nick, like looking back, I didn't even know I had an eating disorder. Like, again, I had normalized it and it was so insidious the way it played out. Like I didn't even know it was a problem until later on when I started like actually seeking support and treatment and understanding what eating disorders were. But in the thick of it, I was like, no, this is just what I have to do to try to control my weight. Yeah. I think that a lot of people start off with the idea of improving their nutrition from like a good motive standpoint, right? Like you were just, just trying to do what you were supposed to be doing, eating healthier, exercising more and, and stuff like that. And then it just kind of developed. And so I think a lot of people who are listening have started to make some good changes or maybe have been making good changes, but are wanting to make sure they don't cross that line of into obsession. And I've, I know that you say that you help people kind of like find the difference and in, in, uh, find the distinction between discipline and obsession. So talk to us a little bit about the difference between discipline and obsession and kind of like how to know that you're more on the discipline side of things and not lingering or, or drifting away into the obsession side of things. Yeah. I love this question because this is something that took me forever to figure out. And I think like I leaned so much on the obsession side. I almost was afraid to go back to discipline because I didn't right. want to become obsessed again. And so I really like to help people come from like a values based perspective. And I know like this is kind of your take on things too, is like, let's get down to like being the best you and the best like version of you. And that's going to be related to like what you value most in life. And I think most of us, when we look like deep in our hearts and the kind of person we want to be at the end of our life, like we don't want to be like, oh, I wanted to be the super hot one or the super skinny one or the super fit one. Like we want to be someone that knows how to connect with people that has strong relationships that maybe improved others' lives. Like our values run so much deeper than just how we look. And I think when we can get really clear on what our values are and then intertwine our health goals into that, it changes it. So, so when I look at like obsession versus discipline, it all comes back to like, what's your motive behind sticking to this? So a, an example of like obsession would be, you know, exercise over exercising is one that's really common, especially in eating disorder world. And so it's like, if I feel like I have to exercise every single day and I've got almost this fear-based motive driving me. Like if I don't exercise, I'm going to lose my muscle or my body's going to change. I don't trust my body. Like that's how we know it's obsession. It's leaning into this, like, um, yeah, this fear-based motive, whereas discipline you're in the driver's seat. You're like, no, this is hard. And I'm choosing this hard because it gives me a better outcome at the end of the day. And it's linked to the kind of person I want to be at the end of the road or at the end of this season. Um, one of the, the, I think the biggest indicators between the two though, is when you're operating an obsession and you don't meet your goal, there's shame that comes up and mm -hmm. it's, there's like a feelings of failure and I didn't do a good job when you're operating in discipline and you don't hit your goal, there's curiosity. There's like, why didn't I hit it? What can I do better? There's almost like an appetite for like, give me some more and I'm going to take on the next challenge. And I think that's the best litmus test to see which one you're operating in is like, how do you respond when you actually don't meet your goal? Mm. Wow. I, I love that. The obsession leads to shame and discipline leads to curiosity. I think that's so 
critical to identify. And I also, the first thing that I thought about and that I often talk about is I think along similar lines is like if you're outcome-based, that's kind of an obsession and that leads to shame. But if you're more like process-based, then that's kind of more discipline and, and leads to curiosity. If somebody listening right now, because I know there's some people listening right now who definitely have that feeling that you said of like, I feel like if I go one day without working out, my whole body's going to change. My whole body's going to, I'm going to add fat. I'm going to lose muscle. There's definitely people who feel that way. And I probably have felt that way a number of times myself. What do you say to that person to make them snap out of it or make them just like come to the realization? Like, first off, that's not the actual reality and how to kind of like change out of that. Yeah. So I think first is like challenging that thought, right. And like helping them have some like solid tools of like why that's not a realistic thought. I mean, we all know even like taking a couple of days off is not going to change things. And even if you'd go on a week vacation, you gain a few pounds, lose some muscle, like you get back into the rhythm the next week, it comes back. Like our body's so dynamic. So yes, first step is kind of validating maybe the fear and then exposing why it's not something to be totally bought into. But I think like in the bigger picture and really overcoming this pattern is again, going back to like putting it in the perspective of your values. So it's funny you say this because I, I mean, I still struggle with this. I love to work out. It is one of my favorite things to do. It puts me in a better mood, but when life throws me curveballs and I don't get to, I can like hear the old track record coming up. That's like, you got to go, Jess, you got to go. And I've had some like insomnia issues recently and I work out super early in the morning. So if I don't sleep at two 30 in the morning, I'll be laying in bed and I'm like, should I wake up and go to the gym? You know, <laughs> like, what should I do? And I can hear like both sides of it playing out where like the obsession side of me is saying, you have to go. If you don't go, you're going to skip again. And that da, 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 right. Like it all plays out the values base or the discipline side of me can go just you know, you have a lot of discipline. You show up when you get good night's sleep. But if we look at your day through the lens of your values, like how do you want to show up? Well, if I look at it through my values, which is my family, my faith, having impact, like it's more important for me to show up for my family with energy to my job with a clear mind than it is to show up with strong muscles. <laughs> so in that case, like I, I got to sleep, you know, I got to turn snooze off and and not go to the gym that day. And that's a more values-based perspective. Um, so yeah, I think like it's easy to get caught up in it and I still struggle with it. But when we go back to like looking at things through the lens of your values, bigger picture, it helps us weed out that line and get on the right side of it. Yeah, I love it. I love the values-based approach thing. And I want to go a little bit deeper into that. So when you are starting with people with the values-based approach, first off, how do they... What are some questions that you might ask to help them clarify their values? I want to start there. And then after that, it's it's a very nice thing to be able to say, I'm taking a value-based approach. It's much more difficult to actually consistently act a, based on a values-based approach. So after they clarify their values, what can we do to make sure that we're actually acting upon our values? You know, you mentioned how when you're up at 2.30 in the morning, you're debating back and forth, do I go, do I not go? And But you have the repetitions and the reps built in where you kind of go back to your values. So how can people make sure they go back to their values after they first clarify them? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of the work I do with folks, like the initial work we do is identifying the values and getting really clear on those and then defining health based on those values. And I mm. think that's where, um, 
Like that's a conversation I love to have with people because a lot of times we can figure out, yeah, you know, family is important to me. Impact is important to me. My career, like we can figure out those importances, but we forget to like factor in how our health fits in that. And Mm -hmm. that's a really, like, I don't know if you're a vision board guy. Do you make vision boards? I don't, not like necessarily vision boards, but I, I like the concept and I'm a big vision casting guy. Yeah. yeah, I figured you might be. So um, one of the things I like to do is actually have people make things like vision boards, but pertaining to their health through the mm-hmm. lens of their values. So like, what does health look like if we're thinking of that in terms of your family? And it's really crazy how their answers are so different when we start thinking of health through the lens of your family or health through the lens of like your your ability to have impact or your faith or whatever it is we're looking at because it completely removes the way we look for the most part. It might show up in some areas, but it might, it'll change the motivation. Right. Um, so I think having that, that conversation is really powerful because it just puts a new spin on some of those thoughts. Mm, Okay. And then, so I guess the vision board would be kind of one way to keep it top of mind because it's kind of right there in front of you and and, in a constant reminder, I guess, give me another example of what people can do so that when they're in their head back and and like, should I do this? Should I not? Because again, there's a lot of people listening who are like some, like if they're at a kid's birthday party and there's pizza around and they're like, should I not eat this? Because, uh, because it's not maybe the healthiest thing to eat or should I just do it because it's not that big a deal to have it this one time? Like, how do I make sure that I'm acting up, acting upon it when I'm on a situation by situation basis. Yeah, in the moment. So values work is rooted in something called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is, it's kind of like a spinoff of cognitive behavioral therapy. And they have incredible tools on how to like build a values-based life. And one of the tools that they have is something called a committed action. And so what a committed action is, is where you think through some of these situations um, and some of these circumstances and think like, how do I want to show up based on my value? So a lot of it is thinking ahead. And obviously we're not going to get like the, you know, the, the small nuanced circumstances, but we can talk through like, Hey, birthday parties are a thing that happen often. It's holiday season. Like what kind of value is leading the way here. So I think it's one, getting clear on your values and your health, but then actually setting a committed action on what that looks like. So so for example, it is, uh, we're recording this. I don't know when you're going to air this, but we're recording it and it's holiday season right now. So a lot of the clients I work with, we've kind of had this discussion of like, what is your goal for the holiday season? Like, is your goal to continue to lose weight, continue to build strength? Or is your goal this holiday season to be fully present and engaged with your family? And honestly, the latter is usually the answer and at least the type of people I work with. And so when we talk about committed actions here, the committed actions really look like, okay, well, when we go to the party, I want you to enjoy no food rules exist, but here are some of the things we're going to do leading up to it so that we're not so you're still taking care of yourself. Like you have some basic self-care and that might be like eating before you go, you know, making sure that you are hydrated. If you know, having a plan about how you want to handle alcohol. So again, like thinking through it, but we have a committed action already mapped out based on those values. Mm, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. I think that's um a really great way to, to like preemptively 
visualize the, the challenges or obstacles that could get in the way and, and come up with a plan. I, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm interested in, well, let, actually let's stay on the hall. It is going to be coming out during this holiday season. So let's, let's stay on that track. What are some maybe other practical things that you maybe coach people to do and that maybe you do yourself so that maybe you don't overeat or you live, I guess we should phrase it this way. We, you live in alignment with your values as it regards to health, uh, during the holiday season. Yeah. So I, I want to add like one more thing because I did a little segue into this and part of like these more values based committed actions is understanding like you're not going to get it right every time. Mm-hmm. And this is again, how we know we're operating in discipline instead of a session is when we like quote mess up or we do it wrong, we're able to go. I didn't like the way that turned out. So I went to the party and I overate and I felt crappy. It's like, oh, okay. Well, instead of beating myself up, I go noted not going to do that at the next party. And here's what I'm going to do this next day to take care of myself. So it's kind of staying in this driver's seat the entire time. Um, okay. So going to answer your question though, um, which was I'm like, what was your question? Again? Uh, You're good. Just kind of like practically throughout the holiday season, how to live in alignment with your values when it comes to health. Yeah. So I think you just got to be clear. Cause again, like everybody's is a little different. Like I do have some people that are saying, you know, I've worked really hard this year. I'm in so a different shape than I was at the beginning of the year. And I don't want to backtrack. And normally I go on to autopilot. And so a lot of times it's just preventing autopilot during this time of year. And so that might look like, okay, I have a holiday party on Friday, but I'm going to be intentional about how I eat throughout the day. Now, one of the things that um, I do coach people on, so I do the values led health-based goals, but then we also balance these other two um, elements of what I call empowered eating, which is um biofeedback. So what your body says about what you eat and then nutrition science. And we hold space for all three. So values kind of like drive the bus and lead the way they pave the path. But then we also balance what my body says about what I'm doing and what I know to be true about, about nutrition. And so when it comes to the holidays, we pull in all three and, you know, again, it's going to look a little different depending on what that values led goal is. But I think for the most part, like practically, it's just not going on autopilot this time of year. Mm-hmm. Usually people, I think, I don't know what you see, but I see a lot of people like switch off this time of year where they're kind of like, it's been a hard year. I'm just going to kick my feet up and, and not that we can't relax, but we can also find ways to like relax and restore without going on autopilot. Mm. I think that's exactly what I try to preach as well. I mean, one of the things I just told people yesterday after working out and that I kind of preach repetitively throughout the year is that when you're doing going to holiday season or holiday parties or you have any kind of thing that maybe doesn't lend itself to the healthiest behaviors, I care less about what you do when you are there and I care more that you're intentional about what you do when you're there. And so that's like, if you're going to have three slices of pizza, four slices of pizza, but you plan to do that, so be it. You're going to be a whole lot um, emotionally, psychologically, mentally better having kind of like intentionally done that rather than gone on autopilot and then you finish the night and you're like, holy crap, I had way more than I planned to do. So it's, I think it's less about, like you said, it's less about um, being super healthy. It's just about what do you actually want out of this season of your life and being intentional about achieving that through planning ahead and everything like that. Totally. Well, and then it's like, then you give yourself permission to have it and actually enjoy the pizza where you're like, okay, I'm going to have a bunch of pizza tonight or whatever. It's like, okay, have permission, enjoy, actually taste all of the pizza you eat. 
Yeah. And, and most of the time what I find when people do that and they give themselves permission, they actually end up not eating as much because they're like, I was satisfied after two. And again, it's just avoiding that autopilot. Mm. Yeah, it is funny how intention or lack of intention around food can very much dictate the quantity that is consumed of it. It's, it's, it's crazy totally. how... It's yeah, and I think it's backwards. Yeah, it's go ahead, almost go like, ahead. well, I just think it's funny how people are almost afraid to give themselves permission. They're like, well, I want to go into the holiday party with all these rules. And like that can create this like pass fail perspective. It can create, I call it like the red button syndrome. Like when you, when I tell my little boys, don't push the red button, they're like this red button mama, you know, like they just, they're attracted to it. Well, if we go in with like, okay, I have permission to eat, but whatever I eat, I'm going to taste and make sure I enjoy it. It completely changes how we eat it. And mm. yeah, I think that's the people don't usually expect that permission would give more control, but it's pretty crazy how it does. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, I want to touch on the two things that you, you know, you said the values-based approach and then biofeedback and nutritional science. I want to touch on kind of the last two with the time that we have left. When you say biofeedback, some people are hearing that and understand what that means. Some people don't. So when you say biofeedback, what are the different things that you are listening for or feeling for from your body? And then how do you go about, okay, being aware of those things and then making decisions based off of what you're experiencing? Yeah. So that's a great question. This is a lot of what I teach the clients I work with is how do we read what our body is saying to us and what does it mean? So biofeedback is any way your body responds to what's happening. Right. And so I obviously narrow in on like the food element. So when it comes to food, that's going to be like, I'm a big advocate of your poop report. Like what are your bowel movements doing? What's the frequency? What do they look like? Like I even have this is hilarious, but it makes people uncomfortable. So I have a coffee mug with like the pictures, the Bristol stool chart, because it's so important that we know like what's happening in our gut. So that's, that's one of the major ones. Um, I like to talk a lot about like hunger and satiety cues, what that looks like and feels like, and everybody's a little different. Sometimes people, um, have those cues really clear. Sometimes people don't have them, but getting an understanding of how your body actually shows those or doesn't demonstrate those is important. Um, lab work is biofeedback, blood pressure is biofeedback, sleep. All of these things are giving us information. And I think, unfortunately, you probably see this, like most people just use weight as the only form of biofeedback. It's like, well, I ate pizza and I gained weight. So it must be, that must be the problem. And I'm like, oh, there's so much more going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's great. Those are, those are great uh, examples. When it comes to hunger and satiety cues, this one is tough because we can often be sometimes fooled by thinking we're hungry when we might just haven't drink water at all, all day, or maybe we're just bored question is how do we become more truthfully in touch with our hunger and satiety cues yeah so one of the first things i do actually in my program is we actually eat every two to four hours i'm like i don't care what you eat i just want you eating every two to four hours because we cannot expect our hunger cues to be operating appropriately if we're not eating regularly. So that's one of the first steps is regulating that. Um, the second part is I have this tool I use, it's called Halt the BS, where I ask people like before they eat, go through this acronym. Are you hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, or stressed? So Halt the BS, go through that little checklist and see which ones you're registering on. And I think 
most of us will start like, yes, I'm hungry. But when we go through the whole list, we can start to kind of think through, well, maybe some, am I really hungry or am I bored? You know, or am I stress eating? And we're very intuitive when we give ourselves the opportunity to be, I think sometimes we just need the the cue. So I think getting familiar with that, and I'm glad you asked us because it is tricky when we have old patterns, like if, so when I was in my eating disorder, my hunger and satiety cues were not helpful. They weren't working appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, when I would binge eat, like that would throw them off. So I think that we have to one, have the physiological reset by eating regularly. And then two, have the cue to check in. Is there something emotionally going on and see if we can separate emotional hunger from physiological hunger? Yeah, that, that was great. I love halt the BS. Do I have it hungry, angry, lonely, tired, bored, stressed? Mm-hmm. Great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that you, like you said, there is so much, there is the difference between physiological hunger and emotional hunger. Um, to stay on this topic just a little bit further, what do you think are, to give it, to make it very, uh, to try to make it somewhat objective. If I was getting ready to eat, how much, what level of hunger should I be experiencing before going into a meal? And then kind of on the flip side of it, when I'm finishing a meal, how full should I be? And maybe just for sake of simplicity, let's say like before a meal, one is I am, let's say one is not hungry at all, 10 is starving. And then after a meal, one is I'm not full at all, 10 is super full. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I know you want an objective answer, but I don't think I have one for this. And here's why. So I love the hunger scale and I love working people through that. When I teach the hunger scale, I don't actually teach that there's a right or wrong place to be. Rather, I ask them to observe their behaviors based on what they track. So sometimes I'll have clients like track, okay, I'm at a level four before lunch. And then I was at a level seven and we'll do this for a full week and then reflect on it. And Mm. what's really cool is you'll see like People figure out like, oh, you know, when I let myself get to a level two hunger, I eat to a level eight and then I feel uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. so their own experience answers it for themselves. And so I know I wish it was easier, but it's not like people have to work through this. And the reason I believe so strongly in that is because I think if we give them like specific parameters Mm -hmm. that they have to stay within, they're not actually connecting with their own biofeedback. They're still operating Mm -hmm. based on like where someone else told them to be versus actually like feeling in their body. A two is not good for me. So I need to make sure I eat a snack at three o'clock before I go home for dinner. Otherwise I get to a two and then I overeat at dinner mm-hmm. and they can figure that out. Um, so yeah, I know that's not what you wanted. And I wish it no, was, that was easier, great. But... That was great. No, I think that was, that was plenty there. You, there was still somewhat of an objective answer in the sense that like, okay, monitor yourself, see where you are routinely falling and then, you know, make adjustments and, and let that feedback uh, come to you and then apply it, apply it accordingly, uh, based on your goals. Uh, I know that we could do a whole nother podcast just based on, based off of nutrition science, but to try to make it as simple for people as possible, because the people who are listening again, maybe some of them might like count macros or count calories, and maybe some of them do it for short periods of time. Maybe some of them do it for long periods of time, but most people just want to make it simple and they don't want to necessarily track calories on a regular basis without tracking calories. What can people do to, Make sure they're still staying on track nutritionally from from nutrition science standpoint. I love this question because I think it's so much easier. This one is easier to answer. <laughs> and I think if we hydrate 
if we eat five plus servings of fruits and veggies, which is a much bigger task than I think most of, I have, I have to work hard. You know, I do this for a living and I have to work hard to get five plus servings um, and stratify our protein throughout the day. So what I mean by that is most people need at least 20 grams. Some people need more, at least 20 grams of protein five times a day. And there is, people can go so far with just those three things, hydrate, fruits mm. and veggies, five doses of 20 plus grams of protein. Mm, mm, I love it. I love it. Very simple and uh, easily trackable by just not really having to put too much work in, just just uh, just counting and, and looking at maybe a couple of food labels when it comes to a protein standpoint. Um, last last question or second to last question is: I know you've got two boys, and a lot of people listening are parents. What kind of along the same line? And I'm this way. I don't have any kids yet, but. I hope to have kids one day and I know that I want to be the parent who definitely is promotes health, but is not obsessive about it. And so how do you work on towing that line as a parent, teaching your kids to have to nurture a good relationship with health and food and fitness like that for your kids? That is such a good question. I could do a whole podcast on this because actually my oldest son has taught me so much about food. I mean, if you looked at what my kids ate, you would not know what I did for a living because my oldest <laughs> is very, very picky. Um, and he's been he's been through some stuff. Like he actually, he choked at a young age. He had a food allergy at a young age. And the research has actually linked that to extreme picky eating, which he really struggles with, um, like on a clinical level. So I think like I have had to face this question head on. And one of the things that I just lean into is when our body is super resilient. So I, I try to give my lot of myself a lot of grace as a parent, like I'm going to do the best job I can, but most of all, I'm leading by example. And both my husband and I value health. We love to work out together. He's a, he's a cop. He's on SWAT team. He's super fit. Like he takes his fitness very seriously. And even though my kids, like they do not eat five servings of fruits and veggies, like they actually eat one vegetable right now. And it's when I blend it in something I call candy juice. But um, I, I think like at the end of the day, they see my husband and I enjoying taking care of our body. We talk about why we take care of our body. None of it has to do with how we look. It's all about, you know, so daddy can chase, keep up with the bad guys and chase them and like stay safe. And it's so mama can like have energy. I always say like, I want to be able to pick you boys up as long as you ask me to. And, um, I think we just keep it like that. And I'm just trusting that they're going to follow. And honestly, they already have like, as they've kind of gotten into sports, they've asked questions like what, what sorts of foods will give me energy? Like that's a language in our house. That's very mm. normal. That's awesome. How old are your boys? They are seven and nine. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And I love it. I think like you said, leading by example is one of the best ways that you can just show what it looks like and not have to like pound it down their throat or anything like that. And talk, I love how you talk about why you take care of your body and not linking it to how you look or a number on the scale or anything like that. So that's great. That's great. Well, before I ask the last question here, Jess, I just want to acknowledge you for doing the own hard work on yourself from a young age to figure out how to change your relationship with food emotionally, psychologically, and mentally and everything like that and to use that knowledge and, and apply it to a lot of the people that you're working with, but then just take a values-based approach. I think so much of 
our culture and just kind of the culture that health and fitness industry creates is like, here's the transformation pictures before and afters. Like this is what success looks like. And that can be very dangerous from the motives behind why people do what they do from a health and fitness standpoint. So I just acknowledge you for not taking that approach and taking more of that values-based approach. Thank you. Well, and same to you. I mean, even like the name of your podcast, I think has like values and deeper sources rooted into it. So right back at you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, you guys need to make sure that you go follow and learn more about Jess. You can follow her on Instagram at JessBrownRD. Uh, and you can go to her website, JessBrownRD.com. She also has a podcast called Fuel Your Awesome Podcast as well. We'll have all that stuff linked up in the show notes. But is there another good place that people should go learn more about you? Those are the best spots. Yeah, those are great. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, last question here, Jess. It's a hypothetical question. If there were only three healthy habits that you could do the rest of your life, for whatever reason, you can't pick all the things that you want to do, but you can only pick three healthy habits that you could do for the rest of your life, then what would those three be? Okay. And are we defining healthy, like holistically, not just physically? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm, that's such a good one. I would sleep. Sleep is so important. I would sleep. Um, well, I would, this is a really good question. Um, I would move. I'm, I love to move. I just think my day is better when I move and Oh, I don't know. This is hard. I have to only pick three. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like I'm just thinking of all this. I have a lot of like really solid self-care practices. Mm -hmm. And so I think like, even before I would choose protein or like, I think it would be some of my self-care practices. Yeah. Can I lump them into one instead of? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Just, just out of curiosity, all that that counts, but I want to know what maybe one self-care practices that you do. Uh, So my biggest self-care practice is my morning routine. Like I wake up, I have time to myself every morning. Um, I wake up super early to make that happen. Like at an ungodly hour, I wake up at four, but I love it. Like I do it naturally now. I know that sounds crazy, but I go through this, I pray, I read, I set my intention for the day. I look at the day. I kind of think of like what I need to do to make the day happen, what I need to prioritize, um, kind of person I want to show up as. And I just think that's a practice that has completely changed how I show up in the day. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I know everybody really got a lot of great stuff today on how to approach it from a discipline standpoint, approach nutrition and health in general from a discipline standpoint, not an obsessive standpoint. We talked about biofeedback. We talked about specific, maybe nutritional science things to apply and just so much great stuff here, Jess. I appreciate your time. That's all we got. Thank you so much for having me, Nick. Of course. What a great show today with Jess. Remember, if you want to take complete control of your health in 2024, then you can work with me from January 22nd to March 28th in the next 10-week transformation. All you have to do is go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to sign up today. Limited spots are available. Some of my biggest takeaways today from Jess are the following. Number one, learning how to be disciplined rather rather than obsessive is key to your mental state and your approach to health. Number two, taking a values-based approach is a much more sustainable and powerful way to healthy behaviors. Three, listening to biofeedback like digestion, hunger, lab work, blood pressure, and sleep are just a few examples. And these are very intuitive ways to learn how to be healthy and learn more about your body and how it responds to your nutritional habits. And then number four, when you're hungry, use her HALT, the BS acronym. I loved this. It's ask yourself, are you hungry, angry, 
lonely, bored, or stressed. I mean, if you can ask yourselves those things, then it will help you determine whether you're physiologically hungry or emotionally hungry. This was some great stuff today from Jess. I hope something in here helps you along your journey to living a healthy lifestyle and helps you continue to get closer and closer to your best you.